40 years ago on this very day, the world gets introduced to a band called Duran Duran. It's hard to understand now just how pop culture changed once this band uh, became well-known. But if you were there, wow, they, well, they were it, weren't they, Ali? I was there. Yeah. I was right there. <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> uh, right there, oh, including a poster on the wall or a T-shirt? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, and, and plus, it, remember, Wallace, this was the early days of um, music video. That's so right. So the, uh, the music videos for Girls on Film and uh, Rio, it's <laughs> just extraordinary, mind-blowing stuff. Weren't they? It's I don't know if if you remember Duran Duran of you if you're of an age, Scott, uh, Ali, and I are, but, uh, wasn't a huge fan, but that that what a banger! Thanks, Wallace. I appreciate that first and foremost. <laughs> um, but those those haircuts though, eh? and, the, right? and the outfits in particular, like they yeah. were just leading the way for boy bands, weren't they? Really, indeed. Uh, and just as an aside, the those tracks they were recorded really quickly. But apparently, vocalist Simon Le Bon he struggled initially to sing them in the studio, leading to discussions about replacing him. Before an employee of AMI, Dave Ambrose, intervened and said no, he should stay, because he turned up for the audition wearing pink. Leopard skin pants, pointy boots, suede jacket and sunglasses, uh, bringing the attitude uh, to the studio. It's 25 to 5, the panel. New Zealand Blood Service is in need of an additional 40,000 blood donors in the next 12 months, uh, leading, to, leading some to question if we should start compensating those who give blood or plasma. About 117,000 people are blood donors, but that number has only grown by 9,000 donors in the past five years, despite a growing demand. The New Zealand Initiative Chief Economist Dr. Eric Crampton said today that paying people for plasma would do right by donors, increase local supplies, and failing would result in the blood service relying more heavily on imported Plasma. With us is the National Manager of Marketing Communications at the New Zealand Blood Service, Asuka Berg. Kia ora. Kia ora. What will happen if these additional 40,000 donors are not found? Well, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the fact that um, it's National Blood Donor Week, so we really yeah. want to thank the 117,000 um, blood donors we have around the country who do currently donate blood and plasma. Um, and therefore make sure we have that blood on the shelves when we when we need it. Um, fact of the matter is that those 117,000 people make up less than 4% of the eligible population, which means there is a lot of people out there who are potentially eligible to donate. So this is basically a call out to those people um, to say, you know, please consider giving blood because we know that there is... Um, plenty out there who may be able to have never considered it and that's what we're wanting to to do mm. to get that 40,000 new donors. Gosh, Ali, just 4% um, giving blood. That's, I mean, it's quite startling. Yeah, yes. it is. And I think it would be much higher uh, if and when, and I think that this change is coming, um, people who lived in the UK between, I think it was for more than six months after 1990, were able to give blood. And that, that includes me. I would love to be a blood donor, but I'm not allowed right. to because I lived in the UK during that time. 
Um, I looked into this earlier this year and found that the Blood Service um, and MedSafe uh, is looking at the changes uh, and planning to make an announcement later this year. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And it's um, you know one that we are very aware of and certainly um, know that it's been brought up by many potential donors before that. You know, clearly um, many people went to the UK um, over that 1980 to 1996 period and spent more than six months there. Um, so we have been gathering um, medical and scientific evidence as well as looking at developments overseas um, to compile this submission for MedSafe, which we have to do in order to change our criteria here in New Zealand and hoping that we can look to something this year for that. Okay, yeah, so those who lived in the UK, France or the Republic of Ireland for six months or more between 1980 and 1996 uh, cannot or are ineligible to give blood here. Scott? What about, um, uh, just drawing on uh, Wallace's question before, um, what if we run out and understand that we'd have to then go to the international market? How do we compare against other countries? Are they at similar levels of people who give blood or not? Yeah, so interestingly, that, that less than 4% does seem to be a quite a common figure across um, blood services internationally. Um, but we are very fortunate in New Zealand that thanks to the donors who have been donating and donating regularly, um, all the new ones that have come on board, that so far we have been able to be, be relatively self-reliant. Um, but as you say, we are at that sort of tipping point where we're going, if we don't get more donors on board in the next 12 months, um, we may have to, to go to that global market, Gosh. which will be challenging for us given our location, um, where we are. Um, and given that you know, it's less than 4%, as I said at the beginning, we feel like there is, there's potentially some, some donors out there or people who you know, donated five years ago still consider themselves a donor, but haven't donated in the last five years. So we're asking those people, we'd love to see you back. Um, and then you'd add to that 40000 that we need. Well, there's quite a bit of interest in this, uh, Asuka, actually. So, um, yeah, kia ora for listing on this uh, subject. I've got an idea for you. Um, imagine if you handed out a $50 grocery voucher for everybody who came in to donate blood. You'd get a queue. So there's a bit in there. <laughs> I recognise that. So in... Um New Zealand, we follow the model that's recognised by the WHO, World Health Organisation, um, as the gold standard, which is around voluntary blood donation. Um, and that is seen as the foundation for a safe and sustainable blood supply. Um, now, the important part of obviously giving blood, if you've donated before, is the screening to make sure that someone is eligible to donate. And in screening that person when they come in to fill out that donor health um, questionnaire that they fill out before they donate, is that they are honest on it um, and they don't have an incentive to potentially lie about any risk factors um, which could be a risk if we provided something like that. Right. There are countries or provinces that don't that do it right. For example Alberta, a Canadian province of four and a half million people, they have removed their ban on uncompensated donations uh, and they are on track to be self-sufficient in plasma. So there are jurisdictions that are doing it. And what we're, you know, with our um, National Blood Donor Week, what we're, we're, I guess, trying to do is say to people, look, we are not at that 
um, silly stage. We know there's a lot of people who want to donate um, or actually just don't have enough information about it. Um, so we're encouraging people to please find out if you are eligible. We want to ensure that you know the blood supply in New Zealand remains um, one of the safest in the world, which is, is recognised as. Um, and that is possible thanks to people voluntarily giving because they're giving because they want to help their community, um, an unknown person somewhere in a hospital, or because they know that a family or friend has actually received blood or plasma before and they can mm. see the difference it makes. You know, and we know from our donors that's why they give, um, and we're asking other people to, to, to step up as well. Oh, okay. So that, uh, uh, that, that voluntary aspect is quite important to you, uh, recognised by the World Health Organisation. I must admit, uh, Suk, I'm just thinking now, the last time I gave blood was years ago, and I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't given blood. What about you, Scott? I was just going to actually say, one of, yeah, one of the things that just popped into my mind is how much is a fear is fear factor because mm. um, you you see the mm. photos. And I'm literally just looking at one at the moment where you've got somebody hooked up to the machine, yeah. um, and it doesn't look terribly inviting. But what is your message to those people who might want to do it but they have a fear of what they see? Um, well, I guess think about um, one thing. I would say is think about the patients at the end of it. Um, you know, they don't actually don't have a choice of um, whether they, um, you know, get that needle put into them to have that blood or tra- plasma transfused to them, but they need it to live, um, to, to save their life or to, to have life given to them. Um, and so, you know, we, we know that some donors actually donate to overcome that fear of, of needles. Um, and a lot of our donors, if you talk to them, will tell you that it's the little pinprick in that interview room that we test your iron is probably the tiniest little needle and probably a little bit worse than one that goes in your arm. So, um, you know, we, we our staff are amazing. It's nothing, yeah. Um, you know, we, we look after you. You can relax while you're doing it and just think about who you're helping um, as you're doing it would be my, my message. Very interesting, uh, Suka. Gosh, quite a surprising response to this. Uh, many people are interested in uh, actually donating blood. Maybe there could be uh, just briefly some sort of education campaign around this. Absolutely. And, and you know, we do um, obviously have a lot of things on our website. We've got a, a basic eligibility quiz, checking off some of the, the key things that you need to um, be, you know, to meet in order to donate blood. And we, we fully recognise, you know, much like the um, Mad Cow or UK deferral we spoke about earlier, that a lot of people want to who can't. Um, so to those people, we say, you know, we, we really love and thank you for your, I guess, want to help. Um, but if you can encourage somebody else to do it, um, okay. you know, that is, is equally um, valuable to us because, you know, clearly you're getting someone else to do it in your place. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. That's uh, Asuka Burge, the National Manager uh, at the New Zealand Blood Service. Here's one. I worked in Saudi during Desert Storm, sold my plasma and blood at $200 a pop. I was also the donor nurse who uh, bled the soldiers and nurses. I've got a few scars to prove it. So my question to you this afternoon is, do you think it's okay for us to receive compensation if you go and donate your blood? What do you think? Email me, the panel at rnz.co. Uh, it is 14 away from 5. There's been a bit of a snag to the promise of cheap public transport for 5 to 24-year-olds outlined in the budget uh, 2023. How do you figure out a system for checking a passenger's age? Was the small point 
lost in the hype of the announcement? Or is there a simple way of doing it? Or does it matter? Our councils are figuring this out. Dr. Timothy Welsh is a senior lecturer in architecture and town planning, Auckland University. He specialises in transportation. Dr. Welsh, kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. This is supposed to start on July the 1st, a couple of weeks away, uh, checking a person for their age when they get on the bus. Was this issue overlooked? Um, it's something that we already kind of do with concessions for uh, younger people already, uh, especially in Auckland. Uh, we have snapper cards for kids in Wellington um, and discount various other places. So we, we kind of do it, uh, but certainly somebody probably didn't think through the addition of more ages to those concession groups. But it's also based on a trust model, is it not? When you when you when you got your snapper card, you're the one that fills in your age. That's right. In a lot of places, that's what we do. Um, you just trust that a person is going to be honest about it. Uh, and in all honesty, the, the number of people that would cheat on something like that is probably so low. Uh, that would, do you, you think? Know, it, it, it most likely. I mean, and most countries in Europe and other places already operate on a pretty heavy trust model. So you just get on the, the bus or the train and someone might check your fare card and someone might not. Um, so it, it's not something that I think would cause a lot of drama or a lot of lost funding for our transit system. Okay, Ellie Moore. Well, I hope Dr. Welsh is, is right. It would be lovely to think that um, people can be trusted uh the sale of alcohol to minors and uh you know the anecdotally the number of people that i may know who have fake ids <laughs> might put the lie to that so but i hope he's right mm. stay there timothy uh scott yeah, um, yeah what, what? Oh, okay timothy you go first then Tim. <laughs> no i just it, it's interesting to me because we talk a lot about uh, trusting drivers that they'll go the right speed limit, they'll follow the laws or things like that. But mm. when it comes to public transit riders, we often uh, frame them as people that are willing to bend the law to save a few dollars. And, and honestly, even if a few people do uh, get discounts, so what we at least get more people on public transport that might be driving a car and it's better for everybody anyway. Oh, it's gone. Uh, that was going to be the nature of my question. So what would be the downside, though? Because I, I, I think from what I've just heard you talk about was the upside to the environment and, and the likes. But who loses if more people get on the bus and we have to contribute more to that? Yeah, exactly. I, that That's a good question. Who would lose? Um, I, I mean, there's potentially a little bit of fare loss there. Um, but re- in reality, if somebody needs that discount and they have to, uh, you know, make up an age uh, so they can get that discount and take that bus ride, um, maybe that's okay in the end, you know. Okay, so there's. So I'm assuming if more people, you keep sorry, well, so I'm assuming if more people get on the bus, that means taxpayers or ratepayers are funding more towards it. Is that is that correct? Sure, you could say that. Um, more people would be subsidizing that fare. Um, so, I mean, there's certainly, like I said, um, a potential for some people to take advantage of it. Um, but there's more likely more upside to, uh, allowing people to be trusted and to, to use these discounts in the long run. Okay. So there is a workable answer there that's, uh, it's based on a trust. Uh, by the way, before you go, Tim, what other countries, what's another country that does this, uh, targeted free fare model, you know, the likes of five to 24 year olds? 
Um, you know, a majority of countries in Europe do have uh, concessions mm. for younger age people. And if you go to someplace like, uh, you know, Berlin and Germany, you never really have a fare card out. You're expected to have bought the fare ahead of time. And occasionally someone will check to make sure you're following the rules. Mm. Uh, but they operate on this model that you can be trusted to purchase your fare and the appropriate fare at the right time. Okay, very good. Dr. Tim Welch, kia ora, uh, for your time uh, on that. Uh, the promise of cheap public transport for five to 24-year-olds. Uh, that's been delayed a bit. Uh, will it still be happening, though? Uh, big, such a big response to the blood donor story. Wallace, we need to maintain the World Health Organization, World Health Organization guidelines. Payment for donating reduces the safety of your blood supply. Sorry to say, becoming a donor is the gift of life. We need to respect the donor. We also need to protect those in the community that are totally dependent on blood and blood products. Although many saying, actually, you know, if they um, gave us a grocery card, hell yes, we would become uh, blood donors. Finally, on the program to this, a record number of schools are celebrating Pride Week this week with more than 300 schools and education institutes taking part, including... More than 60% of secondary schools. Schools Pride Week Aotearoa. It's a celebratory week of events and activities to help foster a sense of belonging for rainbow youth. And a recent survey found around a third of rainbow students said they had learned positive or helpful things about rainbow people, histories or issues at this school. With us is Managing Director of Inside Out, Kawaro Tabi. Besley. Kia ora, Tabby. Kia ora. So, Pride Week, we thought we'd uh, recognise that on the show this week and chat a bit about it. Um, that's been a bit of a rise over the last couple of years, hasn't it? That's that's quite a percentage of schools uh, wanting to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. If I think um, back to, well, 13 years ago when I finished high school, um, you know, we had just a handful of these rainbow diversity groups and schools around the country that were kind of doing anything in this space. And, um, you know, now to be more like a majority of schools taking part um, in the secondary school space that is and celebrating. Um, yeah, it's incredible. What have you, What has changed from now to 13 years ago? It feels like a lifetime away, doesn't it, in this current <laughs> age? Yeah, so much has changed, I think. Um yeah, definitely we're seeing the number of schools willing to have these conversations to create those um, rainbow diversity and queer straight alliance safe spaces within their school, um, creating inclusive um, policies. I think it's become, you know, um, much more, not just accepted, but yeah, we are really moving in many ways into that space of actually celebrating, um, you know, that every young person has a right to be safe at school um, and that, yeah, we should be creating these affirming spaces. Um, of course, this year we've, you know, seen... Um, some more opposition that hasn't been there in previous years um, but at the same time we're seeing um, the numbers of schools on the ground um, increasing which is wonderful Alright, Ali Moore This is so positive for New Zealand I think uh, and the, the thing I love most about it is that Pride Weeks are often run by the students themselves which gives um, Rainbow Rangatahi the opportunity to, to step up and take leadership positions and be seen as leaders within their school, which is surely going to have a fantastic 
hopefully, flow-on effect for their mental health. And we do need to remember that LGBTQI plus people, um, particularly youth uh, in New Zealand and, and elsewhere, um, are uh, overrepresented in the statistics for poor mental health. So I think this is great all round. Stay there, Tabby. Let's bring Scott in. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I'm just drawing on one of the, the words you used before around you know becoming more accepting. And it's one of those things you've got to acknowledge the people who have done the struggle for, for decades, right, to try and, um, and I use the term normalising this, but in, in a positive way, you know, where it's, this is not something that we need to fear to be talking about. Like it's actually something we can be really proud of talking about. And I think that's, um, that's what I see as, as being really exciting about this and seeing, you know, the, the our tamariki, our young people and our generations who are really proud to talk about things. I remember speaking with Georgina Bayer um, not long before she passed. Um, right. And, and she was telling me about, you know, what she went through on a day-to-day basis, um, but how she struggled through and how she was really proud of how as a country we've become more open um, to talking about it, notwithstanding there's a lot of people who still aren't. But um, if we keep this up in 13 years' time, imagine we will be. Is 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 there something to that, that, that Tabby? Because I can recall back in, uh, I mean, where, where was I? Nelson College. This is, uh, you know, early eighties. Homosexual law reform was the was the rage, and uh, the same arguments. I mean, there was the arguments in the media were extraordinary, and it just feels like a whole another society from the mid eighties to the twenty first century. Are we going forwards generally, or are we going backwards? Oh, we're absolutely going forwards. And I think, you know, this shows that the number of, you know, schools celebrating a Pride Week is incredible. But um, we are definitely over the last few months or the last kind of year, even in Aotearoa, we, we're facing this new opposition, this rise in anti-trans um, rhetoric and hatred as well, which is so similar to what was going on at the time of homosexual law reform. And so we really need, I think, our, you know, allies and communities to remember and look back and look at what we can learn from those um those times and those struggles that happened then and, and realise that they're using the same arguments against us now. Um, but we've had so many comments from, you know, people who say, oh, I wish this had been around when I was at school. It would have made such a difference to my mental health. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we are going forward and people can really see that, um, yeah, in the fact. And today's a big day too. It's, we've had our, um, the BDMRR bill, so um, people can now self-identify their gender on their birth certificates. That's now come into effect. So we're making positive changes all the time. Very good. And as Ali says, this is student run. This is from the students. Yeah, absolutely. In most cases, it's um, groups of students coming together within their schools to um, find ways to affirm and celebrate other students, you know, running their own activities. So we've seen um, lots of beautiful library displays of kind of rainbow books. We've heard about um, an inflatable obstacle course where people wear their pride outfits and all sorts of um, fun activities. So, yeah, it really is about um, young people saying you have a place um, in our school. It's okay to be proud of, of who you are and your diversity, the same as it. There's all other kinds of diversity. Good on you, Tabby. Very good. Thanks for joining us here on the panel. That's uh, Tabby Besley there, the Managing Director of Inside Out uh, Kawara. Just uh, rounding up the show here, uh, David in Auckland says, one reason I now lie about my age online, I am thoroughly sick of banner ads for rest homes and funeral insurance. Uh, Benedict's got the answer... (laughs) 
Bennett has got the answer, Ali, regarding uh, showing ads of frizzy hair or Indiana Jones. You can turn off this tracking in the privacy settings, Ali Moore. Okay, so you go to your tracking and turn it off. Taking notes. Right, go to tracking, turn it off. Okay, we'll do. Very good. Ali Moore, Scott Campbell, kia ora both. It's been wonderful. Uh, I am Wallace Trapp and I am back tomorrow, Friday, 3.45. See you then.